sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. Thanks, Brother Gary and all of our young people this morning and children that led us in our worship. What a great time of worship. We end today a series that we've been doing on the family. We've talked about all types of different issues over the past uh, 16 weeks. Uh, We've talked about um, uh, the gospel and marriage and the significance of of marriage. We talked about uh, the gospel and six secrets for a satisfying marriage, the gospel and resolving conflict in marriage. Uh, the gospel and overcoming incompatibility or differences in marriage. Uh, the gospel and what's a family for. The gospel and parenting. The gospel and mixed marriages. Uh, the gospel and adoption. And then we talked about the gospel and anger in the home. And then we talked about the gospel and forgiveness and reconciliation. The gospel and finances in the family. The gospel and dating. The gospel. Today, we're going to look at, was a sign for me, the gospel, and when marriages break down. What um, I want to say to you today, I want to put it this way, I guess. Let's begin to fight for instead of fighting against. The family is under attack. If you are not aware of that, I'm not sure where, what hole your head is stuck in because the family has been under attack for many years. The family, and this is why I believe it that way, the family was the first institution that the Lord gave us there in the garden. And so if it was the, that significant and that important that that was the first thing that God gave to us uh, was marriage and the institution of marriage and the family then don't you think that the enemy wants to destroy it? Certainly he does. Family is under attack today everywhere that you look. In fact, some positive uh, ideas and positive things about family, the divorce rate is actually down and has been down over the past 10 years. It was up to about 52% just 10 years ago. Uh, for first-time marriages, and now it's down to like 41%. But you know what else is down? Marriage is down. There are about 20% less marriages than there were 10 years ago. So what does that tell us? Well, it could say a lot of things for us, but what I think, and as I've looked at it, and uh, is simply this. That people have, that family's been so, so under attack that people have walked away from the idea of marriage and commitment. And they're more in the trial type uh, situation. Let's trial this out first, and then if we like it, we'll continue. But if we don't, then we'll, um, we won't. But marriage is, is uh, the first institution that God gave us. 
The Bible tells us that it is to be held in high esteem. You say, well, if, I just, if, if my husband would just straighten up and do right, then, you know, everything would be better. Or if my wife would just straighten up and do right, then things would be better. Do you know there's no perfect situation in life? There's no perfect relationship in life. There's no perfect um, idea of how that we can work through difficulties and sorrows and heartaches and all of that. Think about this for a minute. Judas, you remember Judas? Judas had the very best pastor in the world. Would you agree? He had the very best leader in the world. He had the very best advisor. He had the very best counselor. Yet he failed. He failed. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 25, listen to these words that I think was a, is a precursor or a warning that the Word of God gives us to let us understand that the family has been under attack. A home filled with strife and division destroys itself. Mark chapter 3, verse 25, from the Living Bible paraphrase. Every relationship, even good relationships, have conflict. Now, Jan and I have been married for a little over 40 years now. We don't have a lot of conflict between us. Uh, sometimes I just pick a fight with her just for, you know, uh, just to do it because I like the making up part. But every relationship, no matter how good it is, is going to have conflict. The issue is, how will you deal with that conflict? Now, you see, we could have gone um, and looked at the Bible and looked at all the different verses that speak about divorce, speak about remarriage. We could have, could have done just a thorough exegetical study of each one of those passages. But I want to take a different perspective on it this morning. And after uh, almost 72 years uh, of trying to understand what life is all about and learning some issues from my own failures and from my own difficulties and from my own mistakes, trying to recapture and re or to summarize some things that in almost 50 years of ministry that I've learned as a pastor. I want us to look, first of all, at what causes conflict in a relationship. What causes conflict in a relationship? Notice what James chapter 4 and verse 1 says is where conflict comes from. Do you know where fights and arguments come from? That's a question, right? Do you know where fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that war within you. James chapter 4, verse 1 from the New Century Version says that. You know, as I've studied through the years of the counselors and um, marriage proponents and all of that, say that there are at least five different areas in which 
conflict comes in a relationship of marriage. Money, uh, the intimate relationship, sex, in-laws, who can become outlaws, I guess. Uh, children, how do you raise children? The discipline issues, all those things. And then fifth, communication. So the, those five areas are the major areas of difficulty and conflict in a marriage. Let me say them again. Money, sex, in-laws, children, and communication. And while you were growing up, you learned a way, depending on how your family was structured and where you were in that family, whether you were the firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn, or whatever. Growing up, you learned one of five ways to deal with conflict. I want to give you those five ways. The first one is, in dealing with conflict, was my way. My way. I fight until I win and you give in. Now, how many of you ever, now don't, don't raise hands, but how many of you ever been in a relationship like that? I fight until I win and you give in. It's my way or the what? Highway. Now, that's how sometimes people approach conflict. Another way that people approach conflict either through the way they were raised or the situations they lived in, was no way. In other words, there's no way you're going to get me to fight. I'm, I'm not a fighter. I will avoid it at all, at all cost. If you want to argue with me, you're going to be arguing with my backside as I'm leaving the room. Uh, I'm not going to fight with you. There's another way that people uh, have grown in a way of dealing with conflict, and that is your way. And that is, I always give in to you. And then the fourth way is halfway. Now, this is better than the three previous ones, but it's still not where it needs to be. Halfway is, says this, I win some and I lose some, and boy, do I keep score. It's time for me to win one, so sit down and be quiet. Uh, you've got me three to one, like the Cubs did to the Cardinals. <laughs> I win some, and I lose some. That's better than the pr three previous, but here's the one that I think we should focus on, and that is our way. Our way. We work on mutual goals together where we care about, listen to this, and this is, this is the whole message right here, where we care about the relationship more than any single issue that we're facing. The relationship should be the most important thing that we focus on. There tends to be three stages in a marriage. Um, they start out as the happy honeymoon. Gosh, remember those wonderful days of that honeymoon? And then after the honeymoon, you know, it's always celebrated, you know, like a party. The second phase is the party's over, and we're down to reality. And then the third part uh, or phase of marriage is let's make a deal. Monty Hall, let's make a deal. 
So how do, we, how do we pull together when we're pulled apart? How do we fight for instead of fighting against our relationship? How can we do that? I don't know of anyone that wakes up in the morning and saying, I want to make my life miserable. But would you agree with me today? Because I dare say that there's not a person sitting in this congregation today that has not been touched by a family that has been broken. So every one of us in here knows and understands what it means to have to deal with conflict, how we have failed dealing with conflict, how we have, have done, we have been so selfish as James chapter um, 1 says, and as Mark chapter 3 says, a home that is filled with strife and division destroys itself. We have stood by and watched things be destroyed that we love and care about. And it's all because of our own selfish desires. So how can we stop that cycle and how can we move forward in building on relationship? Well, the first thing I believe is, is that uh, we need to call on God for help. You say, well, duh, uh, Pastor Ken, I mean, that's, that's, um, that's a given, isn't it? Well, yes, but I'm, 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 I'm overwhelmed sometimes by the idea of, of, of the simplicity of that, but also of how that, that aspect is so... Um, it's so negated in a relationship when a couple comes in to talk to me uh, about things struggling they're struggling with. Uh, the, one of the first things I talk to them about is, well, have you guys prayed together about this? Well, no. Have you, have you talked to God about this? Well, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed that he would change. Oh. Uh, I love this part because when they say that to me, one of the things, and I said, well, I want to know what your part is. You know, we, when we pray about the problem, God has a way of directing us. God will, he will do at least two or three things. Number one, he will change our hearts. He will change my heart. If I'm seriously trying to resolve a, a, a conflict and to build a relationship back if I'm praying for it. You know what I found in my life? And it's taken me many years, many years to figure this out. I wish I had figured it out so long ago. Is that no matter what conflict I have with an individual, that if I am praying for God's best for that individual, I cannot stay angry at that person. If I'm praying for God's best for an individual, I cannot stay angry at that individual. And most of the things that, and, and I have to admit this morning, and I think that you probably would as well, that most of the things that we get angry about is what James, uh, we saw in, in, in James chapter 3, that it's because of our own selfish desires. We want what we want, and we want it now. So God will change your heart, my heart, as we seek him. The second thing I think God will do is God will change your mate's heart. If you are sincerely praying for God's, 
goodness to be on your mate and for, the, for your relationship to come out and, to, be, and to, to improve and to get better. If you're sincerely praying about that and, and what God is doing and changing your heart, he will also change your mate's heart. But many times we skip all this and we get into a selfish mode. I'm tired of this. I'm walking away from this. I'm not going to do this anymore. It's not worth it anymore. I want to say to you, it's worth it. I challenge you to practice what I call simply this, ventilating vertically instead of ventilating horizontally. What do we do when we have conflict in the home? We ventilate horizontally, don't we? Man, we, we, we get our, we get our uh, uh, ways out, our words out. We talk about how sorry the, our uh, mate is or how bad this situation is. We ventilate ver uh, horizontally. Why not ventilate vertically first and get all that out? You see, God's big enough to know. In fact, he already knows your heart. God's big enough to handle your disappointment. God's big enough to handle your anger. God's big enough to handle anything that you will give to him. And by the time that you give it to him and let him begin to work on you and through you and in you, you will find that, that as you ventilate vertically to him, he will bring peace to your heart. What does uh, James 4 and verse 2 say from the Scripture? You quarrel and fight. Why? You do not have. Why? Because you do not ask God. Conflict often occurs when we expect other people to meet the needs that only God can meet. Listen, if you are expecting your mate to meet every need that you have, you're going to live a disappointed life. There's no human being that can meet every need that you have. Only God can do that. But yet we expect our mates to meet every need that we have. We have these, these expectations, and I talk to... Young people all the time, they're in premarital counseling before they get married. I talk about unrealistic expectations. What are your expectations as you're going into this marriage and into this relationship? And it's amazing sometimes what, the, what they say. How do I know when I'm looking to other people instead of to God uh, to meet my needs? How do I know that? There is a blaring warning that comes up when, when I'm looking to other people to meet the needs that only God can meet, and you know what that warning is? It's called anger. Anger is the warning light that comes on and starts uh, uh, beeping, bleeping, bleeping, bleeping that says, I'm expecting someone else other than God to meet my needs, and I'm angry that they're not doing it. And that anger then turns to a root of bitterness. And the Bible talks about a root of bitterness that it becomes like a cancer that eats away at the soul. So what else? Call on God. Number two, confess my part of the conflict. Now, this is a part that folks don't like to talk about. I don't like to talk about it. But it's a reality. If there's conflict, listen, how many people does it take to have conflict? Two. Now, you may be in conflict with yourself about things, 
as well, but it takes two people to have a major conflict in a relationship. So if it takes two, that means that there's two people that are arguing. There are two people that are probably angry. There are two people that are a part of this, and instead of the wife expecting the husband to do all the changing or the husband expecting the wife to do all the changing, why can't we just deal with our own parts? Before I start accusing or attacking and blaming my spouse, I need to be really have a frank evaluation and ask this simple question, how much of this conflict is my fault? In fact, I want you to say that with me this morning. Some of you will not want to say it. Some of you will have a difficult time saying it. Some of you will get to that part where it says my, and it just don't, it won't come out. But here's what I want you to repeat with me this morning. How much of this conflict is my fault? Now say it with me. How much of this conflict is my fault? In fact, let's say it again, and I want you to put your name where the pronoun my is. How much of this conflict is Ken's fault? Two things. Two things. Now, this is, may not be as pastoral as you would wish, but it's the truth because I've experienced it. And it's not just because I've experienced it. I've seen it over and over again. When I'm wrong, admit it. Say that with me. When I'm wrong, admit it. And when I'm right, shut up. <laughs> Matthew 7 says this. Why do you look at the speck in another's eye and pay no attention to the log in your own eye? Take the log out of your own eye first, and you'll be able to see clearly. Matthew 7. Here's some questions that we need to ask when we're talking about confessing our own part of the conflict. Am I being unrealistic? Are my expectations really unrealistic? Am I being insensitive? Am I not considering my spouse? Am I being oversensitive? Am I perceiving things that are not really there? Am I, am I harboring things from the past and I'm so sensitive over those things that anything that my spouse says, boom, it brings me right into rage and anger immediately? Am I being too demanding? And here's the last one that I think hits me, and I think it hits a lot of us. Am I being ungrateful? What is it that Shakespeare said? How sharper than a serpent's tooth is an ungrateful child. And being in a relationship, if you're ungrateful for your spouse, if you're ungrateful for what they, uh, what they do for you and the place that they, that they hold in the family, the 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 absolute um, necessity of who they are, if you're not grateful for them, 
then you're going to find yourself in trouble. Confess your part in the conflict. There's a couple of things about incompatibility. You know, that's, that's uh, the going thing nowadays for um, reasons for a family to split up. Dr. Paul Turnier, who is a very infamous counselor and marriage proponent and marriage uh, expert through the years, he, he's talked about this idea of incompatibility, and I want to give you a quote that comes directly from him. So-called incompatibility is a myth invented by jurists in order to plead for divorce. And then Dr. Paul Pompano, who is also a renowned counselor in marriage and family issues, he says this, I don't believe in incompatibility. I don't believe it exists. Almost any two people are compatible if they try to be. Your marriage is what you make it. Now, whether you agree with uh, those gentlemen or not uh, really doesn't matter. But the idea is of this, that we can't somehow work out and work through our problems. There's another guy, Dr. Arch Hart, uh, who is also a very famous counselor, written many, many books on marriage and family. <laughs> he, he approached this incompatibility like this. He says, if people can be divorced for incompatibility, I cannot conceive why all of us are not divorced. Did you get that? I mean, there is a truth to this idea. When you put a man and a woman together, that's incompatible. You've got two different ways of thinking. You've got, you, even though they're both human beings, they are different human beings. And God made them different. If they were both the same, one of them wouldn't be necessary. But God made us different so that we might could be one. In other words, what's, what's missing in the husband can be found in the wife, and what's missing in the wife can be found in the husband. We are to be one together, to work together, to work through these issues, to be, to be on the same team. How many times have you been on a team and when, when a team starts fussing and fighting within, within the team and the team players get into a fight and fuss, how long does that team stay together? It doesn't. Are they successful at what they do? No, it isn't. But we need to see marriage as a team sport. The fact is, it's not incompatibility that's the problem. It is, as James says, it is selfishness and an unwillingness to change. And when we come to the point to where we can admit that, we're where we need to be for God then to begin to work in our hearts. But we have to come to that point and to confess our own part. The third thing is convene a peace conference. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, conflict seldom is resolved accidentally. 
it must be dealt with intentionally. Conflict gets worse if you just leave it alone. In fact, when you start dealing with it, it may get worse before it gets better. But it's worth it. Conflict has to be dealt with. Notice what Matthew 5 says. If you remember that someone has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go at once to make peace. Then come back and offer your gift to God. What is this verse implying? It's implying that our worship to God is going to be interfered with if we have conflict in our life against a, a spouse or against someone else. He tells us to get that conflict taken care of and then come back to the altar. Notice what First uh, Peter 3 says about uh, husbands. He says, Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers not be hindered. So what's the inference? That if you have a conflict with your spouse, husbands, it's directly speaking to us. If there's a conflict with our spouse, our prayers will be hindered until we get that conflict taken care of. Notice what the Ephesians 4 says. Be angry and do not sin. I haven't figured that one out yet. Because every time I get angry, I can, I can feel the hair standing up on my neck, you know, and, and the blood pressure rising, and I know that's sin. But be angry the Bible says, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And so that helps explain it. In other words, settle the conflict. Don't let anger continue to fester in our hearts and in our souls. Take care of that anger. Deal with it. And it will be to our benefit in our families. Convene a peace conference to be able to do that. Sit down and talk to each other and start, instead of yelling at each other. Practical steps on how to have a peace conference. You need to choose the right time. Ladies, let me, let me tell you a little secret about guys. They're not going to be worried about a peace conference if they're hungry. So that's not a good time to talk to them about peace if they're hungry. You need to pick the right time. You need to pick the right place. Families don't do this to each other. When you're out in public, shaming your spouse out in public, or yelling at your spouse out in public where others can hear, saying derogatory things about your spouse, pick the right time, pick the right place. Another thing, you need to come with a positive attitude that your desire is to find a way to rebuild the relationship. And then fourth, you need to take the initiative. Well, I will, I will sit down if he will, or I will sit down if she will. No, you take the initiative. You get it started. Put your pride aside and get it started. And then cut out abusive language. There's no place 
I don't think in a marriage relationship to call each other names. Some of the things that we say to each other is, you're just like your mama. Well, that's going to start a good relationship back, isn't it? When you attack somebody's mama. Or you are, you are just like your lazy, no-good daddy. You know, all that may be true, but it's not a way to build back a relationship. Cut out abusive language. And let me say to, uh, to those today, especially those who are young and who maybe are about to get married or, or just young married just a few years, there's a word that you need to take out of your language. And it's, it's, one, it's not a four-letter word like some of you may think. But it is a word that starts with D. Remove the word divorce from your language. And what I mean by that is, don't threaten your spouse that if you don't straighten up, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to divorce you. Take that word out. You may be angry at your spouse. In fact, you may be so angry that you can't see how that your relationship could ever, ever be salvaged. But if you will follow, I think, some of these simple biblical steps, you will find a way to cut out all of that abusive language. What does it do? Does it help or does it hinder? Notice what Ephesians 4 says. Do not use harmful words, but only helpful words, the kind that build up and, provi and provide what is needed. Colossians 3, you must put away all these things, furious rage, malice, insults, and shouted abuse. Don't deceive each other with lies anymore. Colossians chapter 3. Just a couple of little phrases here. You might want to write these down because I, 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 I have them written down in my office and I look at them very uh, frequently. You never get your point across by being cross. You will never be persuasive when you are abrasive. And then consider your spouse, your mate's perspective. I need to look at my sp uh, spouse's viewpoint. The secret to resolving conflict is understanding where people are and, and where they're coming from. How, how, do you need, uh, how do you learn to understand? You listen more than you talk. Notice what Romans 15 says. We must bear the burden of being considerate of the doubts and fears of others. And then Philippians 2, look to each other's interest and not merely to your own. What I have learned to try to do every day 
And it's, a, it's something that you have to work on every day. You learn from your mistakes through life. But what I have tried to do every day is I rise in the mornings giving glory to God for the day and for the life that he's given me. But the second thing I ask and second thing I say is, Lord, help me to make my wife, Jan, her day better today. How can I do that? Look at your spouse's perspective. And I think if you would do that instead of thinking, what is my spouse going to do for me today to make my life better? And then concentrate on reconciliation, not resolution. Do you know that there's some things you will never resolve? If you think you're going to resolve everything in life, uh, you're headed for disappointment. There's just going to have to come a time to where you realize that reconciliation is more important than resolving an issue. You can't resolve every difference. Reconciliation means, it means to reestablish the relationship. Resolution means to resolve every issue. And we, you will, there are some things that you are not ever going to agree on. I will never be a Cubs fan. Even though I have to admit they have won the last five out of six games. Seven out of eight. Thank you, sweetheart, for that correction. There are some things you'll never resolve. I will never be a city boy I'm just a redneck country boy there are just some things in your life that you you have to grow beyond notice what James 3 wisdom is peace loving and courteous it allows discussion and is willing to yield to others you can have unity without uniformity. You can walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye. You can have reconciliation without res resolution of every issue, and you can disagree without being disagreeable. So as we close today, this family series and this whole idea of how to fight for and not fight against. I hope that some of the things that we've looked at today will be helpful for you. Your homework is to schedule a peace conference if you're in conflict in your home. Schedule a peace conference. Get together and find a way to reconcile a relationship even though you may never agree on whatever the issue may be. We are all different. When a couple is married, that's two sinners coming together to try to live a life together. And until we start fighting for instead of fighting against, 
we're going to continue to see marriage is going to continue to fall because people here, well, let me ask you something. Marriage used to be considered a worship experience. Now, I know culture changes and things change and all of that. But when, of the, of the last five to ten marriages that you, or weddings that you have attended, how many of them have been in a church? Now, I'm not knocking. Uh, don't, don't, please don't go out of here and say, Brother Ken says, you know, you're not married if you're not married in the church. That's not what I'm saying. Please. But marriage used to be, a wedding used to be a worship service. It was honoring the very first institution that God gave us. And the church was there in support and in encouragement. And now it's, it's more about, it's more about what's popular instead of it being a worship service. I just, uh, married, the ideas of marriage are changing. I had a couple say to me one time when I was talking to them about the vows, because I talked to them about the vows and what they mean. And this couple says, well, we don't want those vows. I said, well, then you don't want me doing the ceremony. Marriage is a gift from God. Would you take a gift and throw it in the garbage? Maybe you would. Maybe it's because you don't like the person who gave you the gift. Maybe the gift reminds you of something bad that was in your life. Maybe the gift brings up all of those past feelings and things. But God offers us a gift, and it's there for us. I just want to encourage you today, church family. If you're here struggling as a family, we want to help you. We want to do everything we can to help you. If, you, if your marriage is falling apart, we're here to help you. Believe me, we're here to help you. We want to love you, come around you, pray for you, encourage you. You are not, you are not a wicked individual. And you're, we're not going to stamp the scarlet A on your back. We're going to say to you, God has a plan. We love you. And we want to help you find God's plan for your life. That, I think, is what the church should do. In reaching out to people who are hurting When a family breaks up from divorce, this is my perspective, and I close with this word. I think from my perspective that a divorce is worse than a death. Because there's a finality to death, but divorce follows you all the days of your life. Especially, especially when there's children involved. 
it never goes away. So it doesn't solve a problem, it just creates more problems. But we here as a church want to help you walk through those. We will stand with you side by side, hand in hand, heart in heart, and to do our very best to guide you through our own failures, but to guide you through what God's Word says. Lord, we thank you for today. And as we close out this series on the family, a very heavy subject today that when families um, fall apart, it's not an easy subject. It's not a very happy thing. But it's something, Lord, that we have to uh, understand. And we have to seek you to find your way through all the issues of life that, um, that come, some by our own bad decisions, uh, others um, come by others' decisions that we feel so helpless that we don't know what to do. Maybe it's uh, not just a family that's falling apart, but it's an issue with other relationships, with in-laws, with, with children. All those things are so hard. So, Lord, let us seek you, and you tell us that we, we will find you when we seek you with all of our heart. And may we do that. And today, as we close, we want to just say thank you for loving us. Even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, even as the scripture says, even when we were enemies of the cross, you gave your life. You didn't wait on us. You took the initiative. And Lord, may we do the same. I pray that today, if there's someone here that's never known you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day they would say an everlasting yes. Maybe there's marriages here today. The husband and wife just need to come to the altar and or to hold hands there together as they stand and just to pray and ask your direction and guidance. So, Lord, that's our prayer. It's our hope that relationships can be restored and that you'll be glorified. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.